So uh, my name is Paris Yano, and I, um, I have been in Youngstown for the past 25 years, my husband and I. We planted a church there in um, the inner city of Youngstown called Metro Assembly of God. And then we also have a nonprofit there called HeartReach Ministries where um, I was the executive director of HeartReach Ministries. Well, then recently, just um, a few months ago, we moved to Columbus, and now we are on um, staff at the Ohio Ministry Network in Columbus, and my husband is overseeing the church multiplication there. Come on in. And um, I was just hired on to uh, kind of develop... Um, help our churches develop ministry to um, orphans in our state and like foster families and foster uh, kids. So that's who I am. And I'll be sharing a little bit more about my family in a minute. But um, I'm just curious who is in the room here. I know um, I met you and you ha- you work for Children's Services. And I know, I wonder if there's any foster parents in the room. Is anybody a foster parent? All right. Yahoo. Good. And then do we have anybody maybe who's interested in foster care? Um, awesome. And then maybe some of you are just saying, like, you're, maybe you're interested in how can I be involved in helping, you know, or whatever. Is anybody in that category? All right. Is anybody any in a category I haven't said? Maybe. Wait. Why? Why are you here? Anybody else? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I just have such a heart, and I'm just getting older and older, but I just feel like, you know, I'm just going to leave those doors open because I think that something is going, but I don't know what. Yeah. So I just kind of don't, when, when this, you know, comes, came up, I thought, I need to be here, I need to sit in on this because I awesome. think that there's something in here. Yeah. Well, praise God. Awesome. Well, and I want you to know that I am not the expert. So some of you have life experiences. You're foster parents. You work for children's services. You have something. If you please chime in, if you have, if you have information for us that can be beneficial, that can be helpful, please, you know, chime in and, and tell us, you know, or if you have a question or something, please, um, feel free, you know, to interact. So, because I am definitely not the, you know, the only source of information in the room, I'm sure. (laughs) So, um, so today we're going to talk about foster care, but I have given each of you a heart with a child inside of it. So for just a few minutes, what I'd like you to do is, um, I'm going to assign, let's see, this row, right, this section here, let's make you guys three years old, okay? And then you guys, how about if we make you nine years old, okay? And you guys, let's make you guys 16 years old, all right? So what I'd like you to do is in that heart, I'd like you, think of yourself at that age, what are things that are really, really important to you that you really value at that age in your life? 
So I just want you to write those around the heart, those things that are close to you that you value that are important. You need one? Okay, I got one for you. Has everybody got a pen? Does anybody need a pen? You need a pen? Okay, I got pens. Yeah, so just write down just for a few minutes. Got my pink one. <laughs> yeah, you guys are three. What are you, nine and 16, huh? Yeah. <laughs> Down things that, yeah. All right, I'll give you like 30 more seconds, huh? <laughs> All right. Well, um, so you wrote those things down. So let me, let's just go through a scenario. So, um, so you have been born into this family and your, uh, father is, um, a drug addict and your mom is a drug addict and eventually your dad dies and you're left with your mom and, uh, somebody reports it to children's services. Um, so you get removed from your mom and you get to go live with your great aunt at a young age. Okay. You're like two years old. You're living with your great aunt and who's a loving, caring, uh, caregiver for you, but she's elderly and she's sickly. So you're in this little apartment. You've never, um, you, you don't get to experience much because you're in an apartment with your great aunt who really doesn't get along, can't, can't, uh, move around too much because of her health. So, uh, you're in this situation. Well, you're there for several years. And then all of a sudden, your great aunt has a massive stroke and is paralyzed from the neck down. So now, you have nobody to care for you. No other family members are able to provide. So Children's Services comes in and takes you from your your great aunt's house and puts you in a brand new foster home way across town on the other side of town. So if you look at your your items that are circling you there, those things that are so important to you, what are what are some of the things over here a 3 year old what what are some things you guys wrote down food, food. okay that's good bonding with parents and siblings. bonding with parents and siblings yes yeah and i forgot to mention you have a little brother that's in this situation with you yeah what security, security. that's important yeah adventure <laughs> you don't want to take that's important to you. 
What about like a favorite toy or a blanket or at that age, you know, a, a doll, anything, you know, that you just love? Yeah. Okay, what about nine years old? What are some things that are important to you at that age? Friendships. That's good. Sports. Very good. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Woo, I put you in the right group, huh? Yeah, you know. Excellent. Right on. So what about the 16-year-old? What are some things that are important to you? Driver's license. Yeah. Feeling normal. Mm-hmm. What's that? First job. Yeah, getting a job. Yeah. Friends, yeah, that's huge at 16, yeah. Technology, your phone, yeah. (laughs) Well, you know, if you're in this scenario and you're getting moved from your home to a, a brand new home, how many of those things that we put on our paper are we actually able to take with us? You know, as you think a 16 year old, well, foster kids, they're not allowed to get their driver's license even though they're 16, you know, so, that you don't have you know you're moved across town so you don't have your friendships right um getting a job that's kind of iffy you know (laughs) you know just some of those things like the nine-year-old you said sports maybe they were involved in sports well they're getting uprooted put into a new place they don't have that um friends once again they're going to be separated from their friends into a brand new situation. Um, and their teachers, their school, they don't have, everything's going to be brand new for them, you know. And then a three-year-old, um, you know, even feeling secure, do you think you're going to feel secure going to a brand new place that you don't know anybody, you're in this family, you don't know who they are? You know, you can just kind of feel the the fear that those kids experience and the insecurity that they have. Um, what else was mentioned here, the three-year-old? The t- toys and stuff, you know, chances are you're probably not going to have those things with you, you know, depending on the situation. But so you see the what these kids go through, you know, the foster kids that are in our state. Um, and so many times you think, oh, you know, as a foster I was a foster parent, and I was, you know, you think, oh, when we get the kids, we're just such a loving family, you know, they're just going to love being in our home, you know, and you're ready to embrace them. But now you can kind of understand how they could be hesitant to embrace you, you know, like that it may not be a mutual thing here because, you know, they... First of all, they don't know if they can trust you. You know, here you're completely different. They've lost everything. They're going through a grieving process. They've lost everything that's close to them, their families, their loved ones, their friends. You know, so it puts them in a really difficult situation. So I just wanted to... and. Yeah. She's still with us, but her first weekend with us, she's sitting in the on the bar stool thing at the counter in the kitchen. She's like, "Y'all weird. Y'all always weird." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and even um, even McFood was mentioned. You know, I mean, you might get 
like, you know, you might be a Hispanic child moving into a, a white person's home and you're used to rice and, you know, your, your whatever, the Spanish food, you know, and then the food you're getting now is like totally different, you know. Um, let me just show you. So that, that story, that scenario I gave you was a scenario of, um, of my, of my foster child, you know, one of my foster kids, well, two of my foster kids, actually. So this is my family, and um, Raquel, my daughter, and Dante, my son, they uh, they were in that scenario. You know, they were living with their great aunt. She had a, 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 a stroke and was paralyzed, and then they came to our home permanently. And so that was their situation. And so... Yeah, when they came to our home, it was like everything was totally different. And then our, um, we actually, uh, Dante was five years, well, actually, he, let me back up. Dante and Raquel, they were, Dante was two and Raquel was four the first time they came to our home. The first time they came to our home is because great aunt had to go into the hospital. And so, um, then they went back home to great aunt and then periodically great aunt would get sick again and they'd come back to us, you know, so off and on for a number of years, uh, they were back and forth, you know, in, in and out of our home. And then finally, when Dante was five and Raquel was seven, they were placed permanently in our home when she had the massive stroke. So they were placed permanently in our home. And then a couple years later, we were able to adopt them. But, uh, Jaquan, our other adopted son, Jaquan, he was, um, his situation was, he was uh, severely abused by his, his biological mother, and um, it was, it was very bad. She would just, like, hold his head under water until he, like, would pass out and just, you know, beat his feet with a hammer and just, you know, he'd be locked in his room after school every day, and they, she would cook for the rest of the family, but for him, they would just, she would just give him, like, spam and stuff, and just, like, really little things to eat, and so one day, uh, he actually escaped from his room and ran away and uh, went to the a nearby Burger King that was by his house, and um, he was just hungry, and so he was just asking them if he could get something to eat. He didn't have any money. And the store manager saw him, uh, the Burger King manager saw him and called the police because he saw obviously he had been, you know, there was some kind of abuse there. And so the police came and like, took him to children's services, and then, so he got, in, he was in foster care when he was 11 years old. And um, he lived with a, a loving lady. She, it was kind of like a group home setting. There was a bunch of kids living there in this house. And she was a loving, nurturing, uh, older lady. But uh, there was no way she could adopt him or whatever. And this is so crazy because um, I went to a one church, one ch- child, um, uh, one church, uh, one child uh, luncheon. And they had some of the foster kids there kind of sharing so Jay Kwan was at this this luncheon and he kind of shared and I and I saw him and I was like wow you know something just like clicked within me like I'm going to pray for this kid you know so I just started praying for him after that day that God would provide him with a family da da da, da. so 
you know, we already had five kids of our, I mean, five kids now because we had three of our biological kids and then two adopted. And so we were done. We were just done. So Children's Services calls us one day and says, hey, would you provide respite for uh, one of our kids? And so I thought, well, we can do that. We can provide respite. So we provided respite, and guess who it was? It was Jay Kwan, who I had been praying for. And I'm like, oh, Lord, you know? So he came, and uh, he had taken a shower. He was 14 at that time. He took a shower, and he came out of the bathroom without his shirt on. And um, I just looked at his back, and I just, like, had to turn away because it just looked like a slave's back. It was just... um, just full of scars, you know, and he had scars in his, on his head and stuff, and it was just like, it just tore me up, you know, but I was like, okay, so he spent like a week with us, and our family just like loved Jaquan, he, he was just awesome, now you guys see, Jaquan was 14, um, he was uh, getting kicked out of school every week, because he was in fights, if somebody would say something about his scars or say something about his family, he would go off, you know? So he was kicked out of school like every week. He had like a 0.5% grade point average in ninth grade. You know, he failed the ninth grade. Teachers just were trying to just get him <laughs> passed on, you know? And um, so anyhow, we, we did that week of respite. After that, I ended up picking up Jaquan every weekend, and he'd spend the weekends with us. He'd go to church with us. You know, he ended up giving his life to God, and um, it was just like, finally, you know, I was praying and praying. I'm like, God, what are we going to do about Jaquan? And in my heart, I felt like the Lord was saying, you need to adopt him. And I thought, dear God, if I tell my husband that, that we need to adopt him, he'll probably want to divorce me. I'm like, there's no way, you know. So, um, so I just kept praying. And then one night, my husband and I are laying in bed, and my husband says, Paris. He goes, man, he goes, I just keep praying for Jaquan. He says, I just can't get him off my heart. He goes, I don't know what God wants us to do here. I said, I know, I've been praying the same thing. And, and, um, and he's like, well, he goes, maybe we should adopt him. And I'm like, maybe. So he's like, you know what? He goes, let's just pray. And if it's God, it will come about. So we were like, okay. So that night we prayed together. Do you know, the very next morning, Children's Services called me. A wonderful lady named Dorothy, who I love there. She called me. She says, Paris. She says, you know... Jaquan just loves your family. I said, yeah. And she, <laughs> I knew it was coming. And she said, she said, you know, would you guys just consider adopting him? And I was just like, oh, Lord. <laughs> we just prayed the night before, and then, you know, this came about. And so, to make a long story short, he was 17 when we adopted him. And um, God did such an amazing thing in this young man's life. I mean, he went, I got him out of the school he was in because he was in this like alternative school. It was just not a good situation. And 
we, we begged the people at Valley Christian School where our kids went to let him in, you know, and they did because we had a good relationship with them. Five of our kids were going there. So they said, well, you know, his grade, grade point average, his school uh, record with being kicked out and stuff is not good, but because of you guys, we'll try it. Do you know he... He got there, oh my goodness, he ended up being on the honor roll. He ended up, the teachers loved him. He was a star athlete in the school. Just thrived, just thrived, you know? I'm thinking, oh, God was so good. I mean, he just like totally turned him around. So anyhow, that's our story, like our family story. But um, so you think, you know, does God have a heart for the orphans? You know, absolutely. You know, when we look in, uh, and, and then I want to say, do we have orphans in our state? Yes, we do. There, right now in Ohio, there's over 15,000 orphans in the state of Ohio. We have an orphan crisis in Ohio. There is a problem with... Uh, with foster care right now with the orphans in Ohio. I have here, which I'll give you, these are all, I wanted to spread them out on a table to, to sell, but these are all kids, and there's a hundred more I could have printed. These are all kids right now in the state of Ohio that are in the custody of the state that need adoption, adopting. They're just not foster kids. They're kids that right now need adopting. There's like over, there's like 300 and some. So, you know what, I'll pass these out. And you guys can keep keep some of these, and maybe you can start praying for, for them. But I'm telling you, that might be a dangerous prayer. <laughs> that might be a dangerous prayer. But you guys could just take some and... You know, maybe just commit to praying for them or, you know, pass them out, say, hey, to other people, will you pray for this child? They need a home, you know? So I know God. Uh... And let me tell you something. When I went into, when we became foster parents, I thought, oh, we have such a loving home and, you know, we've got God and, you know, um, it's going to be wonderful. You know, these kids are, we're just going to give them such a great opportunity in life, a great thing. But I'm telling you what, it was one of the hardest things I've ever done. <laughs> and it wasn't easy. I'm telling you, it's, it's not easy. And it's like, it's, um, there comes a lot of struggles with it. You know, there is, it's, it's very hard, I, especially, um, our daughter Raquel, really, we, that was like our biggest challenge. She just really struggled. You know, she struggled with me being her mom because she had a mom. You know, she wanted to be with her biological mom. And so I was like never in her eyes like her mom. You know, it was like, it's just very difficult. So you go through difficult things. But anyhow, the Bible's perspective, you know, um, the Christian understanding of orphan care begins with understanding the character of God. You know, our God is a relational God. He created the family to be the core of society. You know, he placed us in families because in families, 
you receive, that's where you learn closeness. That's where you get attachment. That's where you find security. You know, that's where you learn how to respect one another. You know, that's the core of our society uh, is the family. And, you know, unfortunately right now, Children are suffering while we're trying to, to define what a family is or define what gender is, you know. But God, the biblical family, is what God has designed as the core of society. So I think the root of the problem we have is really a breakdown of the family. You know, it's a breakdown of the Christian family is really the root of the problem. And let's see. It's really a byproduct of just a breakdown. I love, this is like one of my favorite verses, James 1.27 says, Religion that God our Father accepts is pure and faultless, as pure and faultless as this, to look after the orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. You know, we can't separate religion and caring for orphans. You know, that's what pure religion is. It's caring for the orphans. It's caring for the widows. And so as a church, I think, wow, we've really got to step up and and start caring for orphans. Psalm 68, 4 to 6 says, Sing to God, sing in praise of his name. Extol him who rides on the clouds. Rejoice before him. His name is the Lord, the Father of the fatherless. A defender of the widows is God in his holy dwelling. God sets the lonely in families. So you know what? God has a heart for those who are fatherless. He wants everybody to be in a family. That's his heart. Deuteronomy 24, 19 says, When you are harvesting in your field and you overlook a a shaft, do not go back. To get it, leave it for the foreigner, the fatherless, the orphan, so that the Lord your God may bless you and all the work of your hands. So God wants us to provide. He wants us to provide for the fatherless. One more. And Psalms 82.3, defend the weak and the fatherless, uphold the cause of the poor and the oppressed. So you know what? We We have to care for them. I mean, it's just a mandate from God to care for the fatherless and the orphans. Oh, am I going the wrong way? Okay. So we cannot separate religion from caring for the orphan. Compassion is not just feeling sorry for people, but it actually brings us to action. You know, I, look, I think of the story of the Good Samaritan. The Good Samaritan saw the guy on the side of the road, and he had compassion on him, but he just didn't have compassion on him. He took action and ministered to that man. He provided him with transportation. He provided him with first aid. He provided him with some financial support by paying for him to stay at the hotel, right? So he took action. And that's what God, you know, really wants us to do, not just to have compassion, but to show action, to have action. So, you know, the foster crisis. Some eye-opening statistics, let's see, well, let me see, we'll get to that, but some eye-opening statistics are 30% of Ohio children live in a single-parent home, which all single, that's not totally a bad thing, but they're fatherless, a lot of them. In one generation, America has become a predominantly fatherless nation. 
You know, America's out of wedlock birth rate exploded by 800% from 1960 to 210. So it's just that breakdown of the family. Children are suffering, you know, and new reports show that 1,000 more Ohio kids are in foster care in 2017 because of the opiate crisis. You know, I think you've probably seen it. Because of the opiate crisis, there is a lot more kids coming into care. You're out of foster homes. Yeah. So that's more than doubled. Yeah, and then yeah. Most of the foster homes, most of our teens, if they're 13 or older, end up in residential or group homes because yeah. no one takes teens. Yeah, right, we yeah. We had eight kids at home last November, um, and they, we, take, we will take older kids, um, so they never call me for the little ones or the babies or toddlers because there are so many foster families that will only do the little ones. Yes. They called me about taking a newborn. I was like... Uh, wow, everybody's full. Like, really? Everybody's full? Of course we'll take him. So we have a little two-and-a-half-month-old at home now, but he was born. They called me in November. He was born in December, but... Oh, wow. And all four of the current fosters that we have in our home right now are all opioid and drug and crime-related. Mm-hmm. I read yeah. a son that was um, born in the kid to heroin. So I was out till yeah. three in the morning doing that. Yeah, and that's not fun. And then, I mean, those kids, they, ha they have issues. I knew our daughter was uh, born with heroin in her system when she was born. You know, they just have a lot of, you know, they need a lot of care. <laughs> yeah, so, you know, it's, it's huge. The problem has exploded because of the opiate crisis. You know, there's more than 15,500 kids right now. That are in uh, that are in foster care in Ohio, and uh, that number that I got here had grown 23 percent from last year because of the opiate crisis. You know, they said that if this rate, if it continues at this rate by 2020, there's going to be over 20,000 kids in our system. So you know, it's like. Okay, this is a great opportunity for the church to step up. It's a great opportunity for us to be, be Christ to, to our community and to these children, you know, and be a family to them. You know, 50% uh, of children being taken into custody across the states have a parent with a drug abuse problem. According to the data, at least 28% of those kids uh, had parents using opiates while they were actually taken into custody. So it, it's a problem. Uh, this organization here, uh, somebody had given me this to pass out. This is an organization that actually helps families who are at risk. So families, before they actually get to the point of having to take the kids away, this is an organization that tries to help those families to avoid that from happening. And so they are in need of people that will help maybe provide babysitting to provide a support system to these families who are in crisis. You know, so that's just some information there, uh, a preventative thing for families. And I'm sure in our churches also we have um, 
families that might be in crisis too. You might know of single parents who need some support and some help. You know, we had a young uh, a man in our church who had two kids, small kids, and he had a mental illness, but he was really trying to help care for his kids. His um, Their mother was a drug addict, and she was actually in prison. So he was trying to care, and he needed the church to come around him and help him. He needed people to babysit for him, you know. He needed people just to do some transportation and stuff for him, you know. So, but in our foster care system, we see that there's a problem. The capacity, which we said, there are more foster children than foster families. That's, that's a problem. The capacity is a problem. Uh, and that leads to stability. Families who foster are facing major challenges. They are not adequately trained and they're unsupported. So, and a lot of kids, um, because of the stability thing, they're moved around, you know? Because, like, if you only have so many homes and you have all these kids, it's not always a good fit, <laughs> you know? It may not be a good fit, but you're just looking for a home to place these kids in, like, you know, and, like, I don't think residential facilities are, are a good fit for a 13-year-old, you know? So, there's a stability problem. There's a quality problem, the, the quality of care that children are receiving. You know, it's not always quality because of just the, the immense amount of kids that are in the system right now. You know, it's so you may have a family who say, oh, I could take maybe, you know, one or two and feel comfortable. Well, then, you know, that family, there's uh, uh, you're, they're getting calls, can you take just one more, you know what I mean? Like, and then you get to the point where maybe it may not be as quality as it, as it should be because you're trying to care for more kids. So we know there's a major problem. And uh, how the church can respond. So let's look at that. So let's see, we know that God wants us to care for the fatherless. What a great opportunity for the church. And so what do we do? Well, here's, um, here's an idea. So churches, you know, if a church could just do something like provide for material needs. Sometimes churches have uh, food um, giveaways. Those are good to provide food, to provide clothing. And even if it's not a foster family, even if it's fam a lot of the families that struggle with uh, the resources are often families that are in crisis. I mean, they... They are like at-risk families, you know? So if we can help alleviate some of the material needs, you know, by providing food or clothing, that's a, that could be a big help to families. Um, and maybe some of you guys have ideas also. Um, mentorship, you know, relationships. God is all about being a relational God, you know? And one of the biggest things we can do is be a mentor. I see a Royal Ranger guy, you know? You're mentoring young men, you know? I know with our church, what we did, we were in the inner city, but we would bus kids in from the neighborhoods and stuff. And um, probably about 95% of our kids came from single mom homes, you know? And those... Those families were very needy, and we tried to be a support to them as much as we could so that um, those kids wouldn't end up in foster care, you know. So relationships are huge. And then uh, perhaps 
you could provide a home for a child. You know, perhaps you could be a foster a foster uh, family to a child. But the thing is, not everybody has the means or not everybody's in a situation in their life where they can be a foster parent. You know, it's just, it, it's a tough job. <laughs> and I think you have to really know that God wants you to do it. You have to feel called to do it. Uh, my husband and I definitely felt called to do it. But it's not for everybody, but everybody can help in some way. Everybody can help in some way. And I think God wants every one of us to help in some way. So this is kind of like um, a model uh, that they use in the state of Texas. It's called Family First. And then also the Assemblies of God National Office created a thing called CompaCare, which is similar, where in a church you might have, be able to have a family that's a foster family. You know, and this is the foster family. Well, and let me tell you, foster families, uh, they say that only 40% of those fostering will continue being foster families because it's tough. It's hard. And if you don't have a support system, I'd probably, probably say it's probably almost impossible. I mean, it's hard. So a church may have a foster family or you might have a couple of foster families in your church. Well, something that as a church you guys can do or we can do is we can provide that family, those children with support. You know, first of all, we can be praying for that family and uh, supporting them in prayer. Uh, I know for myself, um, like I said, we had a lot of issues with our daughter. And um, there were times where I'm thinking, dear God, you know, what am I doing? <laughs> I did the wrong thing. You know, I mean, it's terrible, but I'm thinking, should I take her back? What, you know, <laughs> it's like you just have those stressful times, especially during those teenage years, you know. And I tell you what, if it wasn't for my prayer support that I had at the church, I probably would have lost it, you know. Um, so having a prayer support, you know, just having people close to you that you can go to to say, hey, can you please pray for us? We're really struggling right now. Uh, you know, like somebody say, hey, I'll clean your house once in a while. You know, I'll be glad to come and clean your house. Or, you know, hey, you know, I, I bought you some groceries and just bringing some extra groceries over to the house, you know. Uh, donating supplies, you know, that's always a huge help. Somebody maybe say, hey, you know what, I'll cut your lawn once a month, you know, somebody just to take that, that pressure off of that family. Um, you know, maybe somebody could make meals for the family once in a while to say, hey, uh, you know, could we make meals for you? I know, and that once again, our church family in Youngstown, when, uh, you know, I, had all the kids and my husband got very ill my church I think they provided meals for us for like a month you know my husband was in the hospital and that but they knew they knew it was a it was too much for me to handle you know and you know they provided meals for like a whole month I was like I don't know what I would have done without that you know it was just a huge support um you know, you might have somebody in your church that might be a CASA worker, you know, uh, might be able to go to court appointments with, with the kids and be that support. You know, somebody might, and this could even work like if you have a family, a single mom in your church or just a family you feel that might be at risk, 
you could do the same same thing you know car maintenance you know doing an oil change for the family or something that's huge um this is really big is babysitting now you have to be approved to be a babysitter you know you have to be fingerprinted and you know background check and and approved so it is you know it's a it's a pain in the the neck to go through all that but it's important you know they, they they should, they should be checked right they should be checked already exactly yeah so babysitting's huge just to give the parents a break <laughs> you know i mean that was huge for us and thank god we had a good uh extended family support system like my parents my husband's parents my um sister-in-laws you know they they were they were good they, everybody got approved to be a babysitter and that so when we needed a break you know they they were there to do that that that's a huge piece i think for foster families you know transportation i know like with our daughter she had a lot of appointments medical appointments counseling appointments you know and it's like i'm working full-time my husband's working full-time so it's like oh my goodness you know you have to take off of work you have to arrange for the other kids to get picked up from school and you have to take this one to the counseling you know what i mean it's just a lot so if somebody would say hey i'll take your daughter you know when she has to go to counseling I, i'd be glad to do that once again they have to be approved and that but if people are willing to do that wow what a help that is, you know. Well, the national office has a um, a uh, system they 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 have designed um, called CompaCare, and it is very similar to this. And then there's this is from Family First, which is in Texas. The Right. Church, you know, where, Absolutely. Because it has to be a system. I mean, otherwise, yes. I, we're a foster family. There's one other foster family at our church, but yeah. How do how does a church of 300 people know what the needs of? One Absolutely. Family? Yeah, and um, you know what? I'll I'll say one thing, and then I'll let you speak on this. But um, what 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 the CompaCare system? They actually have a per, they get a volunteer in the church that is called a family advocate. And so that family advocate works very closely with this foster family, saying, okay, what are your needs? What are, do you really need at this time? And then they find out, and then they are the ones that go um, to the church and, and, re, and communicate with the volunteers and stuff. And so you have a family advocate that works closely with this family to be to know the needs and to communicate that to the volunteers in the church and kind of organizes that so that the family doesn't have to organize it. Yeah, 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 yeah. And actually, I meant to have it. I'll put a paper out. But if you're at a church and you would like this, I'm actually going for more training in um, in Springfield on this. And so that's part of my role in the Ohio Ministry Network is to help churches develop ministry like this so that they can help support foster families and stuff. So please, at the end, write your, I'll have a paper, write your name and email and stuff so I can keep in touch with you. And um, I'll give you my information if you want. So, because, you know, I want a resource. 
I just like I just started this position, so I'm just getting the ball rolling. But um, but I'm excited about you know what's ahead, what God has for us, because I just believe that we're going to have every church involved in some way in providing for foster families. The, I mean, there we have a decent sized body, of mm-hmm. people, but and we get a lot of as being a foster mom we get a lot of that is so great you know if you ever need anything but that's like right yeah and most foster families foster moms like aren't gonna ask yeah you're not gonna ask if you know? I ever need anything do you want to stay home with my autistic yeah. son and my six-year-old that will punch you in the face or pee on your pant leg? Yeah. I mean, you want right. Yeah. So let me get you with your comment first. I was just going to say that we're like currently trying to implement something like this at my church. Mm-hmm. Um, mainly through me, like working through the county, though, um, I've been trying to create like a list of needs. Um, for specific families, because there's always things that like we won't supply them, um, mm-hmm. or that we just don't have the funding and stuff for. So, even even silly things like I had a family that you know didn't have a vacuum and like you know can keep the house clean but they can't vacuum. So I put it on a list and someone you know brought me a vacuum mm-hmm. for them. We did a lot of that with the the Christmas stuff too. That's great. But I think that to have it like within the church, you know, as long as you have that one person that's kind of like anonymous that mm-hmm. they can go to, I think that would be a really good thing. We don't have that. We're right. helping our county, mm-hmm. not the people within the church. But yeah. it'd be nice if we could make sure they're all taken care of too. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Oh, just that's like good. Because people want to help. They just don't know. Right. Uh, I can't believe how much help we got. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. There are people. Did you? Have- oh, great. Yeah. Oh, good. Um, we do have a, a program that we're working with. Um, it's, a, it's a small church, but what they're doing is dynamic. And then we're partnering also with a very large church as well, and they're dynamic. And oh. they a lot of different needs. But what we're doing is we're getting um, mentors in, we're getting them fingerprinted, we're doing background checks on them, awesome. doing profiles on each one of them to find out what tools they have in their tool belt to fill the needs of the children in the foster families we're currently serving. We're putting together oh. a profile book. And Mm, yeah. We have people driving from which this place is going to be from like Fulham um, to Newark, which mm. is a great distance. Yeah. And these people, some of them are retired. We have people who are moms with our youth getting ready to emancipate. They're doing cooking lessons with them. They're taking them new job applications, teaching them how to dress for success. Oh, that's awesome. And all of that. And they're having kids just come over to their house and read mm-hmm. because they want to get out of the foster home or maybe there's some chaos going on. Mm-hmm. So they're just going and picking them up and taking them to the wildlife at the That's zoo. awesome. So mm-hmm. it, it's successful and we're really seeing it. And I really feel like God is like, I just told someone this yesterday, it's like he's taken an egg and mm-hmm. he's just like broke it and he's like pouring it. And like it's working in the mm-hmm. state of the county. People are starting wow. to feel this burden. We're saying, you know, it's like the year of the widow and the orphan because yes. people are just starting to feel that burden. Mm. And it is because of the heroin epidemic. Yeah. It's starting to reach the regions mm-hmm. out of sight, out of mind. Yeah. Well, now it's starting to affect the population like that. Right. So I can give you my contact information. I I'd like your contact you. information, yeah. too. <laughs> Thank you. It'd be a good resource. Yeah. Something that I just thought I would add is if you're maybe not a 
not foster parent, but you're in here because you do have a heart for foster families or you see a need. Um, it really just starts, like this program is fantastic, but it really just starts with the basicness of just having eyes for an awareness. Like, do you have a foster family in your congregation? You know, and how, mm -hmm. it, and, and, and like you said, talking to them, not giving that empty, if you need anything. Right, yeah. So, you know, talk to them more. Like, for example, when we brought home a newborn baby for the first time, I had to go to work the next day. We got him at 10 o'clock Sunday morning, and I got I went to work the next morning. Um, mm. And I'm not like some people be like, hey, help me. Like you said, when somebody's like, if you need anything, I would just be like, okay, thanks. Yeah. But what I'm really saying in my heart is, um, can you please bring us dinner? Can you write? Yeah. Just like right. a young mom <laughs> that brings a baby home from the hospital. Tell me what you're you willing to do. I will probably say yes. Yes. Or whatever it is. So mm -hmm. just having those eyes to be like, oh, wow. You know, not just, that's really cool what you're doing. And if you need anything, let me know. Right. Like, that's good. Right. Yeah, that's excellent. Yeah. And like if you have that, that one person in your church that could be that family advocate, they could be like sensitive and really watching and, you know, and, and, and do that. But everybody, it would be nice if everybody did that, you know, had that sensitivity and looked. But, um, you know, and then uh, gift cards. I would say, you know, gift cards are, are always good for the family. Respite care, that's like uh, just um, an extended care, not just for, you know, one night may, might be for a weekend or, you know, if the, if the foster mom and dad need to go off and just have a break, you know, somebody to provide respite. So, and then uh, other ways the churches could help, some of these were mentioned, like, uh, maybe emergency um, placement backpacks, you know, for different ages. You could just have things in there that you think, okay, this kid's being uprooted out of their home. What are some things that they might enjoy? You know, for like a three-year-old, it might be a soft teddy bear, you know, it, something to bring comfort, you know. Um, you know, it could be, uh, you know, a cool toothbrush, you know, just one of those, you know, electric ones or something or you know just some cool pajamas you know just something you know that would make them feel special and feel important um, so emergency backpacks you could do uh, adopt a foster family for Christmas you know that would be a great uh, a great thing and, and I just wanted to say on that note we have bio kids as well we have five bio kids at home. Uh -huh. yeah, um, and yeah I was gonna are mention that to buy for the foster kids. yeah and I'm like well just I, I never want to say anything, but remember yeah. there are other kids there too. And yeah. The, the, these foster kids are coming in and right. they are losing a lot. They're going through a hard time. Mm -hmm. That's what I always explain to my bio kids. Yeah. But they oftentimes right. feel a little left out. Like Absolutely. They're getting lots of new clothes and yeah. lots of new toys and all this attention, and people want to take them out for ice cream and yeah. you know, all this stuff. And they're taking up all mom and dad's attention. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. I was gonna. Yeah, I was gonna say that if you do the family, make sure you do the whole family. You know, the bio, bio kids too, because I know. Um, you know, we had three biological kids ourselves with three adopted kids. Yeah, so it's important because sometimes your biological kids. I mean, mine were great. They they were great, but sometimes they feel slighted because you because the foster kids can be very demanding of attention. 
<laughs> you know? And so, like, my foster daughter required a lot of attention. And my biological daughter, sometimes I wasn't able to give her, you know, as much as, as attention. She didn't require it as much, but, you know, I, I think I felt more bad, you know, worse about it than she did. But, um, but yeah, it's important to remember the whole family. Um, let's see, uh, provide gift cards for a foster family, maybe to go out to a restaurant. You know, when you have a big family, family, you don't get to go out to eat much, you know, as a family. And so that's a big treat, you know, if somebody gives you a gift card to like Applebee's or something, it's like, wow, (laughs) you know, we get to take the family out. That's a huge treat. Um, You know, and you can certainly call your local children's service agency and just say, hey, we're a church. We're a group that would just like to help in some way. What are some needs you guys have? Like, you know, maybe it's providing vacuum sweepers or whatever, you know, just that would be a great place to start is by calling your local agency and just saying, hey, you know, what are some needs that we as a church might be able to fill for you guys? So, um, but I wanted to leave it open for anybody else who has input. Some of you guys have had input. Any questions or anything that you guys may have? They are doing good. Our youngest, um, I should go back to the picture, but, uh, oh, Lord, how do I go back? Um, Our youngest, I'll show you him. Oh, that's our baby. He just graduated um, uh, last June and from high school, and I just heard from him this morning. He just got to Japan. He's in the Air Force, so he's going to be stationed there for two years, so... He's um, he's a baby. Uh, Raquel, she is living in North Carolina right now, working, doing well, living with some friends there. And she's um, 21. He's 18. Jay, Jaquan is, um, he's 23. And he is at Youngstown State University right now, doing well, and um, studying communications and business. And the cool thing is, you know what? I was always like, Lord, I don't, and, and I worked in inner city ministry with inner city kids besides this, you know? So I was always with tons of kids. And my prayer was like, Lord, I don't want to be saving all these other children and losing my own. That was my biggest fear. And you know, God is so good because, and you know, through prayer and stuff, but all my kids are, um, they're just serving God, and they just have such a heart for compassion. You know, this one, Caleb, he's married to Nadia. This is his wife. And Caleb is an occupational therapist. He works with autistic children at an autistic school. And he's also the youth pastor at, our, at Metro. And then Paris, our daughter, she is also um, in occupational therapy. She works in Akron City Schools. And... Um, she often goes on missions trips to um, provide occupational therapy for special needs kids and stuff. So that's Paris. And then Dante, that's my oldest. He is um, he's a social worker. He's got his master's degree in social work, and he works for Homes for Kids. Um, and he right now is in the Trumbull County Schools as a social worker, um, you know. Thank you. Yes. So, so my oldest and my youngest are both Dantes. Isn't that funny? Because <laughs> we adopted Dante and we had a Dante. So 
We call them Big D and Little D, so. <laughs> but now Little D is much bigger than Big D and all of us, so. <laughs> yeah, he's kind of outgrown us all, so. Is there anybody else that has questions or any uh, input that would help us? Yeah. Advice for people that are looking at getting into this. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Misty and I have been foster parents licensed for three years. Well, three years. Yeah. And we got into it thinking, you know, this is what we want to do. We want to foster to adopt the young baby. Yeah. And that's it. God grabs a hold of you. Yeah. He's got different plans. <laughs> yeah. We've, we've now adopted three of our foster children. Oh, wow. <laughs> when we first started, Praise God. I would tell you, nope, nope. Yeah. How long have you guys been fostering? Uh, going four years. Okay, so we've been doing it for six and not one of us. Really? Unification is great. Uh huh. I'm just like, what? We, we, just just we work with our work families a lot. But uh-huh. I'm just like, okay. When we first Absolutely, yeah. Absolutely, yeah. Hopefully, when you think you got things figured out, you don't. You don't. Yeah. God's like, nope. Yeah. That's right, yeah. Like, I never dreamt that we would adopt Daquan at 17, you know? Never, but yeah, God had another idea, so that's neat. Yeah. Like this, but when you meet them in real life, it's not like that. That's just right. Scenario yeah. Right. Yeah. It's neat. One thing I want to mention because you brought it up earlier uh-huh. um, with having like teenagers and stuff. They have done a lot with the normalcy stuff to to get those kids at independent. So a lot of them can't get their license. Oh, did they change that? Yeah. 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 So like 2015. Now they can get their license. Okay. To go about it, and I think some That's states good. make it more difficult than other states, but mm-hmm. they're trying to make it so that they good. can sleep over. Good. That's good. Yeah. They can go spend the night at their friend's house. That's huge because we couldn't. I went out when they were under foster care. They couldn't do any of that. Yeah, and it was so hard. Like, okay, this kid's gonna be in my house every single night. I can't even, you know, have them go stay the night with a friend. Right. Yeah. Really? Wow. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Yeah, because if you, I mean, I hated it. Yeah, because, you know, Paris and Raquel are actually the same age, my daughter Paris and Raquel. And so, yeah, if they get invited to a sleepover, oh, Paris can go, but Raquel can't. You know, I mean, it's like, and it was. It was like really difficult. <laughs> yeah, to navigate through all that. So, mm-hmm. that's great. Well, thank you guys.